gentlemen welcome back to the only podcast produced by three two-time winners of imsa spirit of the race award you're tuned into the check engine podcast streaming live on anchor.fm well not live but we're streaming through anchor.fm or anywhere else that streams cool exciting podcasts that you want to listen to my name is nick with me as always is andrew and tristan tonight we actually have a special guest with us this is cool because not only have we been trying to schedule this for like three months just not going well. We're finally here. And not only did you agree to talk with us, but he agreed to host us in his own home. Um, this is someone we met through our little merchandising deal. If you've got a CEP koozie, you've probably bought it from this man or his sister. Um, but we've come to find out through knowing him that he wears so many different hats in motorsports that he's got so many different perspectives on perspectives. Yeah, that's the right word on things that we had to get him on and ask him some questions. So from style to aesthetic, Former driver, current spotter, coach, business owner, Mr. Steve Welk is hosting us this evening. Welcome. Welcome to the world headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no joke. So, awesome. Super stoked to be on. Yeah, it took us forever to uh, to get this. The the thunderstorm at Road America did not help Whew. on uh, IMSA weekend. It made for an exciting Saturday oh, race, dude. Though. That, that, yeah. that was an awesome race. But yeah, that... that uh, the, the impending doom that was coming out of the sky at the end of the race did not help at mm-hmm. all. So When we actually had a plan in yeah. place. It was going to be good. We were going to do it at, at one of the greatest racetracks on the land. Our home track, and, no less. Yeah, no, I love Road America. It's just spectacular. It is, yeah. it is the mecca for me. Definitely. Yeah. We agree. It's just nice to hear other people say yeah, it because no, we're doing it all the time. There's, there's no, there's like, and, and you guys have gone to a lot of racetracks. I've gone to many, so many racetracks. More racetracks. Way more than us. And there's, there, there's no, nothing like Road America. Driving it, being there, like the whole experience, the town, town of Elkhart Lake is just phenomenal. So yeah, that, that's, there's nothing compares. So, and we'll probably get more into that as we go <laughs> along here. Um, but again, thanks so much for being here. Um, happy, to, happy to have you guys here. Appreciate it. We've got so many questions, we probably won't get to them all, but as we start off, Every one of these episodes, we kick it off with um, pace laps. Quick news bites, neat cars that we've seen along the way. Does anybody have anything to kick us off? Man, it's, it's tough because Steve already admitted to not being like much of a streetcar guy, so... No, don't let me ruin your, ruin your fun. I mean... I'll talk about him. The only, thing that, <laughs> the only thing that came for me that I think is funny is Ford got downgraded to junk status... Oh, yeah. By Moody's, uh, which is a, a like a stock market rating organization, and Ford's response was, "Hey, we're right at the beginning of this transition," and I'm like, "Well, eh, all right. By the clock, it's been two years. When does this start? <laughs> when is it? When does the, the transition for two actually years? go? I own Ford stock. That's not good. This <laughs> <laughs> is the first he's heard of it. That's just yeah. pay more attention to the road car stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> it's it's just so weird. Like the the phrasing of that as being continually in the future it's always around the corner it's always just beginning and 
When are they going to fire Hackett? That's my question. When, when's he when getting out he, of when here? When does he go? When does he go? Maybe they make it a twofer and they fire Harbaugh and Hackett at the same time. And they <laughs> can just walk out all buddy-buddy together. With their milk. With their milk. <laughs> and their steaks. <laughs> <laughs> let's um, hope. Anyways. Yeah. Let's just, let's just so, go. So junk bond status. Uh, junk. Uh, yeah, yeah. By Moody's. Yeah, downgraded to junk. Although apparently it's not the first time. Didn't they make this move to please the stakeholders? Yeah. It's going yep. well. <laughs> that didn't work uh, really well so far. Here, here's the reason. For weak earnings and cash generation. Yeah, being bad at their jobs. Mm. <laughs> well, that's it. Well, good luck for it. <laughs> good luck with that. Um, I've got a quick story. It was um, We had a listener actually tag us in a comment on it on Facebook earlier today, and we'll share the photos, but um, it's actually my, my, my girlfriend's dad woke up at 6 a.m. this morning to a Toyota in his front lawn. Almost, thank God, it didn't go into his house. Which seems it, to be happening about every three days in the Milwaukee Racine area. It, every morning in the news, it's like yesterday or today or, yeah, cars hitting houses. So, yeah. So a Toyota slammed into the tree in his front yard at 6 a.m. this morning. And... Okay, so apparently everybody was okay, which makes this kind of funny. Like, he actually took a picture, he zoomed in on it, the car left the badge embedded into the bark. (laughs) So now he's got a Toyota tree in his front yard. (laughs) But, okay, so when you you said he woke up at 6, what you meant is he was woken up by a Toyota (laughs) at 6. I don't do words good sometimes. Okay, yes, that's the most rudely awakened. This isn't a talking podcast. (laughs) That's right. This isn't a podcast about English or phonetics, okay? No, it's just those are two very different stories. One, he opens the shades and there is a Toyota in his front yard. In one, the apocalypse happens, and then he wakes up. He leaps immediately from, from prone to standing and staring out the window. That's right. I'm awake Horrified, now. Horrified by it. I feel like that's what happened. Definitely. <laughs> that's probably how it went down. Sorry I butchered the story, Mr. Tisma. Glad you're okay. So, this is happening a lot. Yes. Uh, Mostly the product of high-speed police chases. What? Really? That's so cars. much worse. Yeah. Yep. They lose control and just slam into houses. <laughs> I, I, we watch the morning news every morning when we're getting ready, and it's like, yesterday, a car hit the house. Every, like, two or three days. That's more ridiculous yeah, than what I thought. <laughs> I was thinking, like, drunk drivers. I really need to watch the news more. I guess. <laughs> it can be either very entertaining or shockingly depressing. So Sometimes those are the same things. <laughs> yeah. It's a gamble. Sometimes. You never know what you're going to get there yep. when you turn it on. Yep. So there's always surprises, right? Really, it's high-speed chases. Yeah, often. You could have given Sometimes me a, it's just unexplained. But, you could have given me yeah. a ton of guesses, and I wouldn't have gotten there. I would not have. I just figured he just lost the road from the rainstorm last night. And or that. That would have been, been my guess. Former <laughs> racer blaming it on track conditions, of course. I <laughs> <laughs> got him. <laughs> got him! Well played. Well played. It's never the driver's fault. No, remember, he's hosting us. He could just ask us to leave. <laughs> That's right. And we've got a six-minute and 48-second podcast to release next week. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Hey, it was a pleasure, guys. Now, <laughs> the door. I, I have one piece of neat car news. Go for it. However, it was not a neat car that I found on the road. It's a neat car that I have to give to Andrew. This is an iPhone box. It is. Well, open it. I'm going to point it towards Nick. That's what I'm currently doing. <laughs> Nothing's leaping out at me. Shit. Oh, my God. Is this an AE86 Sprinter true, I know? <laughs> it is, and look at the rear plate. Oh, 
<laughs> it actually says initial D. Yes, it does. I know that show. Yes. Do you? Yes. It's terrible. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> and, it's, it's, and it's a wind-up car. If you roll it backwards, it accelerates and slowly. And the door's open. It slow, accelerates slowly forward like a true sprinter. <laughs> okay, no. Yeah, that that's is about it. <laughs> Just wow. like the car. I'm actually like, quite pleased with I that. I found Thank this you. at a Walgreens. This is in central Wisconsin. This is super accurate, inside. by the way. Like I the know. right rims and the right like this is incredibly <laughs> accurate for coming from Walgreens. We'd add it to our diecast collection. Yeah. <laughs> actually, a lot of my diecasts are probably from Walgreens because they used to sell racing champions back in the day. Like, really? Oh, yeah. Like when NASCAR started becoming, I was a huge NASCAR fan when I was a kid, so I collected all the 164 scale cars. This is a small sampling. By I way. did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, this is a very small sampling. I, ended up, I think I ended up giving mine to the neighbor kids, but I had like three or four cases full of them. No, I had a, well, we just put, my dad cleared it out of their house. I had a, there was a pool table full of everything and half of it, I took the ones that I wanted and the other half went to my cousin who's another big collective. I became and I did it together. He's, Five or six years old than me, but yeah, sorry, didn't mean to jump in on that. No, no, no. that's why you're yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's how hey, man, it's your house. <laughs> <laughs> recording in your world headquarters. You can do yeah. what you want. No, yeah, thank so. you. That's awesome. So yeah, added to the he got us Hot Wheels. Oh, nice. Before so. I did, I did do that. Yeah, he got Audi and he got me a Corvette. Mm-hmm. Is it pronounced Audi or Audi? Like I always get made fun of for how I say it. It's Audi. Audi. It's Audi. Okay. Yeah. All right. Allegedly. Okay. I get made fun of a lot for how I say Audi. So. You just said it right there. Yeah, like, I was gonna say as long as you guys are saying it right, I'm cool. I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty confident about it's it. It's like now. Porsche, right? It's Porsche. Oh, it's definitely Porsche. It's definitely Porsche. Yeah. yeah. You you work in that series. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That one he knows. Yeah. That one he knows really good. That, that, that one I know very well because one of the the current scholarship kid uh, for the GT3 Cup series at the press conference, the the media media girl for Bright was telling me all this. He pronounced it Porsche the entire press conference. Uh oh. At the 24 Hours of Daytona, and everyone, so, everyone with, was dying with all the Porsche. Like motorsport people, it's a good way to start off. Well, <laughs> when he when he when he gets dropped from the program in another year, <laughs> we'll know why. Yeah, <laughs> but I'll notice Hindoff goes back and forth when he's announcing the races. He'll he'll hit the Porsche every now and then. And gets like, lazy. He yeah, knows, he doesn't want to do that. He knows what it should be, but then forgets. He it. talks <laughs> a lot if he wants to take a syllable or two off every now and again. That's true. Very fair. That guy's very excited <laughs> all the yes. time. I love. I just love his commentary. Yeah, he, him and he's great. Like, him and Shaw are really. Jeremy Shaw are really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a we have a a bet going about whether they actually secretly hate each other. I think they might. I can't imagine because they just snipe at each other occasionally. Uh, or Posey, like, Posey and uh, um, Uncle Bobby did that all the time. I don't think they friendly. actually hate each other. It's like Towson and Paul like, Tracy. Now? Yeah, idiots. They yeah, they like they're, they're buds. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, don't know. I can do without Paul Tracy. I think Paul's Townsend's scared. really good. But. Townsend, I, I like. Well, I think I, Paul, Tra- I, Paul Tracy's like a baseball player. He's right about thirty percent of the time when he talks <laughs> about stuff. <laughs> there's no, uh, there's no, the, there's no bullshit with Paul. Like I drove, but, I drove go karts for Paul. For Paul, for Paul, Paul Tracy had a go kart team. It was me, Almondinger, and a kid named Matt Jaskell that were teammates all at the same time. And uh, Paul's, Paul's no joke. That guy's, that guy's one he can wheel, but he's there's no bullshit about him. Yeah. So he's pretty awesome. I've got a Paul Tracy story for later, maybe, um, <laughs> as we get into this. Um, anything else, or we want to just hop right into this interview? Yeah, let's just go. All right. Steve, it's an obligatory first question. How did you first catch the racing bug? Where did it start? This is all my mom's fault. Mom's fault? All of this is my mom's fault. Wow. Really? Yep. Yeah, it's one of my favorite sayings, actually. No, so my mom's side of the family is the racing side of the family. My grandpa... 
they lived in, grew up in West Dallas. My uncle would cut through the fence to go sneak into races at the mile. My grandpa <laughs> first went to the 562. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started racing go-karts in the late 60s. So he ran, I think he ran a couple years. Actually, on the, he, I, can't remember, I, I can't remember exactly. He either took Alan Quickie's spot on the team that ran out at Dowsman, or Alan Quickie replaced him when he stopped racing. One, it. It's one of the two. There's, there's a Quickie connection, quick connection there. And then my, my cousin, who's 40, or yeah, he's like six or seven years older than me, started racing when I was five. He was 10 at Dowsman. So I went out to the go-kart track at five, and I was like, yep, this is what I'm doing. And uh, so my dad owned an auto repair shop forever. My grandpa started that in 54, so he had worked on cars his entire life. He goes out to the racetrack with my mom and us, and he's like, yeah, sure, I'm in. And he actually started driving go-karts before I did. <laughs> and then I started at the age of eight, 1991, uh, was my first year at, at Badger Car Club. And it kind of takes off from there. But I mean, I had the best of all worlds. I had a mom who loved racing, like the whole, her whole side racing side of the family was, they were all into it. Like that's what, yeah. that's, but family dinners were grandpa, uncle, but like that side was just talking about race cars. And mostly of it was NASCAR at the time or midgets or whatever, but we, but that was racing. And then my dad got into it. And then when I started driving, I showed some aptitude for it and kind of went and took off from there. So, which brings up the next question. You kind of led us right into it. Great transition. So when did you first realize that this was more than just kind of a, this is going to be more than just like a weekend hobby? When was that moment like, you know what, I could actually do something here? I mean, the, the, the goal was always there. Like the goal was always to be a race car driver from as early as I can remember. I remember in the fourth grade, I had a career map mapped out, which at that time was going to be cup. I was going to go a, uh, start at Slinger, go ASA, Bush, and then in, and into cup. Yeah, like that was go. in the fourth grade. Like I was, but there was oh, there was never a moment that I can remember where driving a race car wasn't going to be a part of it until I stopped driving race car. And that was so. So there was always there was always the plan. There's always the goal, and then. As my karting career kind of started to develop and I started to do more two-stroke, more international style go-karting, that's when my, my, my interest and career focus kind of shifted from, from NASCAR and, and Winston Cup to open wheel. And this was 1995. Mm. <laughs> so those of you that know the history of IndyCar racing know that 1995, that was a real bad time to leave, leave your goal being cup racing. And go towards the IndyCar side because that's when it all started to fall apart. That's when the for those who don't know, that's when Tony George decided to start his own series and in Champ Car IndyCar as it was split into two different series. Jeff Gordon was getting super popular. NASCAR swooped in, got all the commercials and all commercial success and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So, so yeah, so that was that was the first of the bad timing of my racing career. Like I did, and and I'll, I'll say I'll say a lot of things. I have no. As, as you go through my driving career, I have no regrets about what I, any any decision I made um, in my career. I'll I'll talk crap about it. I'll, I'll but I I don't regret. I don't have anything bad. I know I know I would have been good enough to make it. I know I didn't work hard enough to. Like there's there's kids that, that I came up with that talent level were the same as me. I I break myself at the time is pretty good. I still think I can wheel a car when I need to. Um, but at the end of the day, like investing everything i had into it i probably could have made it but i never i never made that that absolute dedication to never have a fallback plan never like just this is what i'm doing and 
So I can, I'll, you'll, some of the stories about my career, you'll hear where I say, well, I could have done this or this happened and stuff left me behind. Like all that, all that circumstantial stuff is, is one thing. But at the end of the day, I think I was talented enough to be a professional race car driver. I didn't push it because at the end of the day, there's other stuff that I wanted to do with life. And, and there's weirdly enough more to, I, as I, older I got, there's more to driving race cars. So there you go. Um, yeah. But, Go on. <laughs> <laughs> sounded like you were going to that no, for, okay. for a second. You guys got one? Or you want me to keep rolling? Yeah, keep going. All right. Um, so kind of walk us through. You, you mentioned you started in carts locally yep. here. And like eventually you got to Europe. And you yep. mentioned, I think, off air that you were racing for, you think, when we just started here, you were racing for Paul Tracy. Yep. Indy Kart, like, Take us through like how like how far up the ladder did you get and like okay. before the before the so, before you finally stepped out. Yeah, so so I start we'll go we'll go to, to karting. So like as as I started to progress and I started to to you know realize, you know, like you said, that there's there's some hope here, there's there's some ability and mm-hmm. so you at the time there was a pretty pretty narrow focus in go karts. It was regional, national, and then there was there's kind of like a regional national and then like a full national tour that was going on at the time so i ran um wk wk series which was regional and then like a regional national which is kind of confusing but it'll make sense in a second and then they had wk had what called what was called their constructors cup which was a as close to a pro touring go-kart series as there was in 1997 we went i think it started in the series started in vegas we went to phoenix basically a a six race actual cross-country tour of CIK FIA style karting, which was the full international style. So I did that in the junior category in 1997, won two races, had shot at the championship and, and pitched myself off the road in one race that I should have won. And that, that cost me, cost me a race. And I actually crashed with another friend of mine in that series, but that that's where I first started to make my name, winning two races in, the, in that junior category against high caliber kids. The end of the season was the North American Karting Championships, which was the the CIK race of the time. It happened in Charlotte. All the Europeans came over um, at the time. In 97, when I first did it, I think Button was still... I was in the category called Formula A. I, I, I was forced... That's kind of a fun story. I was forced to move up to seniors because my birthday from age... 14 to 15 happened in between the end of the June, the national series and the North American championships. So I had to enter the, the senior category, which was formula A, which was like pro-am. And then there's super a, which is like where button and, and all the all guys that you've heard of that went on to race formula one, most of them started in formula or ran formula super a. So when I turned 15, WK, which was the regional body, never actually sent in my registration until I turned 15, but you had to enter 30 days before. So before we even, I even got into the race, we had to lobby the CIK, the American version of the CIK, to let me in the race. By that time, the team thought I wasn't racing. They didn't bring any engines or equipment for me, so I show up (laughs) with a two-year-old test motor, and the Super A factory driver for PCR lent me the engines that weren't good enough for him to race with. And that's what I got to go on, and I qualified eighth out of, uh, in that year, there was 50-something carts in the show. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, that included, like, so Phil Giebler, um, Danica, Pat Long. Like, I showed up and, and did, did real well. So, That's awesome. Yeah, so that, that got me, that was the first, like, really big time where people were like, oh, 
there's some like other people took note and like okay there's there's something there so i got a couple of tests out of that deal and then um actually signed with an international or the the north american distributor for what was called Burrell chassis and i got my they assigned me to lynn haddock who was lake speeds race tuner who's the only american to win the fia world championship in karting and lynn was his mechanic when he did that so i was like okay here you go you're gonna do this you're gonna go to europe you're gonna run the world championships i was 15 wow <laughs> i peaked at 15 <laughs> so well, i mean a lot of kids do yeah so exactly it's exactly. to be ashamed about exactly so so we did that so that that was the my first year of seniors and same thing we ran that constructor series and that was my first experience going over to europe we tested with the factory team in in january at the race and then went over and ran it was in Ugento, italy and that was that was an amazing like the yep there you go posters on the wall posters on the wall 1998 yep. Ugento. um and that was like i learned more in that week of racing the entry for formula a at the time was a 97 that year 97 carts i qualified i blew up in qualifying it was a two-lap qualifying run i did one my first lap engine blew up threw on another engine they let me go out i did one lap i qualified 70 something out of 90 and one lap versus two and then through all my heats there's like a five heat race deal to make the final i moved up like minimum 10 positions in each heat in each heat race and crashed with a kid in one race that lived 20 minutes from me oh. <laughs> in italy in italy yeah no we, we flew over there to race and like we've known each other at the time i think you know whatever two or three years because we raced we're from the same area and yeah, so that was the first year of the World Championships. The next year I went over, it was in Belgium. I actually qualified. In the rain, I was second fastest out of 110. Um, and that was in official practice. And then qualifying, I think it was mixed conditions. I qualified 30th. And then I should have... If there's one race in my career that I could have had back, it was the, the 1998 World Championships in karting because I should have finished in the top 10 without, without question. I just made... I had some dumb errors... I got had a chain break in one of the heats. I had run over by a guy. Like it was just a lot of stupid stuff. And that was that's the only race in my career that I went back. Is that one? Everything else, everything else, I'm happy with how it ended. But that, so that that was kind of towards the end of my first karting career. So 98, 99, I did some shifters, shifter carts. Because then in the states, at, so when I talked about weird things happening or coincidence in my career, I'd focus on this hundred cc direct drive international category for so long that in the states by the time in 99 it started ship moving over to shifter carts and that so i had to kind of like restart and at the same time that was when the first skip barber scholarship was happening for carts to cars and the first year they were looking for when i was 15 they were looking for anyone 16 and above so that first class i think of invitees was brian sellers pat long phil giebler um valiente couple others that were in there and they all went through it and then the next year when i was 16 and 17 is when they started shifting over to look for 15 and 16 year olds and <laughs> it's just like mr pie that much. <laughs> so so that was the start of like another like i said when i started looking at you know indycar in 1995 then i became too old at age 17 <laughs> to, it's crazy, Jeez. and I, it took me a couple of years, and then and then the other thing was switch, switching over shifter carts, which was not my strength. So I struggled for a couple of years in shifters. Finally, got it figured out, and that's when I think I was nineteen. I moved into skip bar. I got the finally decided. I was like, okay, I have. To, I'm either going to stay focused on go karts too much, 
I'm going to try and make the move to cars. And I went to the Skip Barber National Championship. And that's when that started, or that first year was 2002. And that, that was, and I continued to struggle. Like, it was weird. My, my driving career, like, I, I have really good reputation. But some of my results, especially when it got to cars, were not, uh, actually not great. Like, I had, I had flashes, of, flashes of competence, I like to call them. Uh, <laughs> but like my first year in Skippy, I think I struggled to get a couple top tens, and I I stayed in go karts, um, and I won a scholarship for the it was a second iteration of WK's Constructors Championship, and the scholarship was supposed to be for a season in Formula Fours with Primus Racing, who at the time was the Van Diemen importer. Um, they were the 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 team to run with. Um, yeah, in Formula Ford. And then, so I, I won that scholarship. But they did, it was a cool shootout. They took us to Savannah, Georgia to run a two-liter car, an F2, a USF 1000, 2000 car, and it was run by Cape, the Cape brother, Cape Motorsports. And they took, that, this scholarship, excuse me, was purely done on pace and results on course. It wasn't, like there's a lot of them, I've gone through a lot of scholarship programs and I've now instructed on a lot of scholarship programs where they take into account, you know, off-track stuff. This was pace. You got, you got in the car, you had to do it. and were you fast or are you, were you not? Exactly. And it came down to, so my buddy Craig was the quickest of us, and there was two guys that were going to get the scholarship, and it was me and a kid by the name of Robbie Pecorari. And our second session was going to be the one to decide it, and it went down to the, I think, tenth of a second on the second fastest average. or something. It was, it was, it was and how like many laps did you do? Ten or fifteen. And it was Holy on, crap. I think I had, I think I had it on average by like a tenth of a second. Like our first two laps were within the same same tenth and or whatever, our fastest two laps. But it went I can't I can't remember exactly, but I know it was by like a tenth or a hundredth and like a couple categories down from what would have been the ultimate ultimate winner straight away. It was incredible. Like it was one of the one of those things. And then that scholarship morphed into a partially funded season in USF two thousand at the time, which was called F two thousand at the time before it was the USF series. So I had a year of Skippy, not really great results, but learning a lot. And then I got thrown into USF, you know, on a partial budget that we hadn't really planned for. So again, getting off on the wrong foot with a team that is actually, weirdly enough, JDC Motorsports, but it was their first year doing professional, basically running a, a two-car professional team. For those of you close to IMSA, JDC Motorsports is the uh, banana boat. Yes. Mm-hmm. The yellow car, the yellow prototypes. So. Yeah. And so, so it was me and my teammate Craig, and I think we had John, John Church, the owner, one engineer and one mechanic, another engineer, another mechanic, and that was the entire team. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was, I mean, super underfunded. Um, and there again, I, like, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have the tool, like, I didn't have the knowledge I knew about car racing. I didn't have the tools I needed to develop my skill. And I just kind of won it. Like, the first time I went to Mid-Ohio, I think we did a, the official series test. I, second, I set the second fastest lap of the test. To this day, I can't tell you how I did it. I have no, I have no clue. Like, I, because we went back for the race weekend, and I was terrible. Like, I was absolutely dreadful. And, I'm, and the series owner, who, the guy by the name of John Betus, who helped me out a ton he was the one that helped push through the scholarship to get it to usf i've never paid an entry fee in a series that he ran because that because he liked me because i was the one calling him to bug him to do stuff but john's like well you ran well at the test i'm like yeah i don't know how <laughs> <laughs> just so, kind of just sent it yeah so i so 
you know, I'd struggled, struggled that year. The second year I did better, wound up with a podium and, and that, that was a deal. So my second year at USF is 2004. And I started the season with $10,000 in sponsorship. And that was it. So not enough, not enough, not even close. Like at the time, budgets were about 150 to do a full season. I think, Oof. yeah, that's, which is pennies on the dollar to what it is now. Yeah. yeah. Like USF <laughs> season is 325 to 350 on the cheap side. So Eek. I did it for 60 and like beat up the team owner on everything. Like it was, it was a crazy year. So showed up like, Two weeks before the season, I don't think I had a ride, and Beto's kind of arranged this deal. It was a brand new team. It was a, a guy by the name of, of Marshall Aiken who he ran the other car, and then he had a second car that he was going to sell, and they sold it to me for, or sell the seat. And they sold it to me for pretty cheap. So they show up at, at Sebring for the 12 hour weekend where we were a sport race. No testing. I met my engineer and team there. Um, I, think, I think I grabbed my old seat from the year before and threw it in the car. and. We went. Well, that was how we started. So I, I was, I think the year I started on two year, two races for sure. I think we stretched that 10 grand into two races, maybe. And then we did pretty well. I think I qualified, ran fifth. And then the second race, I got hit from behind and spun or something like that. So that was all good. Then they decided we were going to go do a test at Road Atlanta. And then I think the engine, we had some sort of weird oil leak that started at Road Atlanta that took the entire weekend to figure out. And then there was a volunteer tier. So this was in this year, I had five engineers throughout the season, a couple wow. different team configurations. Um, is it this? It's a textbook. This is why you don't go low budget racing. <laughs> like, it, it's, it, Anything that can go wrong. Did. Yeah. So at Mossport, we went to. So we had. I think the season went started at um, Sebring for the twelve hour. Then we went to some weird. I think it was the Midi. Like support race at Road Atlanta, and then the series went to Laguna, and Laguna was fun. Like at that point, after the Road Atlanta race, I was technically done, and then the series really wanted cars out on the West Coast. I forget. I think we were support for Grand Am or something like that. So they they arranged the deal to have the car trucked out there, run by a, a team called Dave Friedis Racing. So different team. So engineer number two of the season. Um, and actually, weirdly enough, my mechanic was Jeff Fickling, who was the engineer on Chilton's car this year at Carlin okay. during the 500. So that was kind of a fun little story because I've known so I've known Jeff for that long. So Fickling we'll get some more involvement with Carlin in a bit. Yeah, exactly. So Fickling, uh, well, so Dave Friedis ran the car there. Then we go back to Mossport, and I show up to Mossport. I drive from Milwaukee, get to the paddock, start walking around. There's no trailer, no team. Shut up. They got stuck. They didn't get stuck in customs. They got stuck at a wayside or a truck, a, a way station in Canada. There was a lug missing on the trailer wheel. And the truck was impounded for a day. <laughs> so one of the teams was nice enough to let me take what there was a, I missed five practice sessions that day. And one guy let me go out in his car to do a recon lab. Cause I'd never been to Mossport. You guys said you've, you've, you be, or what you guys call it, CTMP, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, it's a little bit of high-speed place. Yes. So I went, basically went into qualifying blind. 
Key to a good lap? Balls. Yeah, exactly. Lots and lots of balls. (laughs) Not knowing how much trouble you're in. (laughs) And in qualifying, I can't remember, qualifying one went well, and then qualifying two, the diffuser fell off and started (laughs) started scraping around. So I'm driving around like, man, this thing gets really loose all of a sudden. And it's because the diffuser, the bolts had come out of the rear, and it was basically grinding the diffuser away on the track. So that that was that weekend. And then um, we went to, it's probably taken a lot of time on this season, but it's just so bizarre in my mind. I, I actually went to the, a wedding for a buddy of mine in Florida, and at the same time, I, that was where the, the series owner was based. So I stopped by John, John Bezos' office again, and I'm like, we need help. <laughs> car's not making a trailer, car's falling apart on track. So he put together a deal with, with it was, Cape was running, Cape and Bezos at the time had like their own kind of team. So Capes had their side of the trailer, and then this basically the Beto's team had the other side of the trailer, which be, which kind of morphed into Aiken Racing. So we go to Mid Ohio, engineer number three, um, and that goes really well. Like we're quick all weekend. I score my first podium. Awesome, stoked! Like this is going to be good. We're going to run run out the rest of the season. It's going to go great. Sonoma was the next weekend or the next race. I think a couple weeks between show up. I'm like, hey, where's Charlie? Charlie was the guy that engineered me, and they're like, yeah, Charlie quit. Oh uh, what? It's funny, right? No, no. Charlie quit. Here's your new engineer. Some guy. They didn't tell you in the engineer, meantime? Like, how, they didn't, no. how much notice did they have? Uh, at least a week. <laughs> at least a week. And yeah. no one thought, to, eh, yeah. I want to tell Steve. Yeah, no. The, the, and the team owner and I, Marshall and, uh, Marshall and I got along pretty well after the season. But at this point, it was we were on pins and needles and huge argument. The weekend went terrible. Like, that threw me off. And, you know, being, knowing... Knowing what I know now, that something like that shouldn't have thrown me off as much as it did, but it ruined my weekend. Like, it just, like, when I'm like, okay, I got this guy, he trusts me, I trust him, it's going to be good. And, oh, he's gone. And here's some guy, and the, the engineer that provided it. I can't, to this day, I don't remember his name, I don't know what he was, like, don't know who he was, just, it was that kind of bad. So, show up to the next race at Mid-Ohio. We went to Mid-Ohio twice in a season that at that time, and I think we just decided to run on our own with, kind of getting help from the Cape brothers and they were kind of giving us setup information. So engineer number five was no one. <laughs> so was, was you? Yeah, exactly. And that, so long story short, running on a budget sucks, but we made it through that. I made it through that year with a podium on a third of the budget of everyone else and still kind of got out. It got so bad at one point. I remember like it was two days before mid Ohio Marshall called me and I literally thought to myself, I'm like, Please tell me you just sold the seat to someone with more money. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> and it was just calling to talk about the weekend. But yeah, that's how that's how unfun that season was. I, to the point where I was like, man, if he just sold it, it would have been fine. Cool thing about that was Road America, the season finale was IMSA, or, well, ALMS weekend. Yeah. And they had the go-kart track at the time. So there was the, it was the Stars of Karting series. So I was still running karts at, at a little bit at the time, just to keep myself sharp, sharp and I was actually making a little bit of money because there was prize money and my brother-in-law owns a shop and I was running his cars, his equipment. So I was pretty much sponsored in that, but they ran USF and the stars karting on the same weekend. So I ran both series and one karting and cars in the same weekend in the same track, just going, driving my car from one paddock to the other, which was, <laughs> which was pretty cool. That's and, fun. Yeah. So at one point in the go-kart race, I had X amount of time that blew up the, the engines I ran in that series were also terrible. So that blew up. Got up, just left my cart, walked off, walked, <laughs> jumped out of that suit, got my car, drove back from the infield at Road America from turn eight, T 
shoe to the support paddock in the in the grass up on the front straightaway. Jumped in my other suit, got in the cart, got in the car, and drove off into the rip for race two of, <laughs> of the USF weekend. Oh, that blew up on the next thing. <laughs> exactly. It was it was actually one of the coolest and dumbest things I think I've done as a driver was doing that because it's <laughs> just back. way too many way too many things to focus on, but it was way cool to do. Well, so. lesson learned. Yeah, exactly. Don't try to overload yourself. Yep. Yep. On the so, bright side, you couldn't dwell on any bad shit that happened. Exactly. You no, you move, just, move forward. Yeah, I mean, it, and in sports car racing, it was, it, it's not as common as it used to be, but, man, guys used to do, like, GS, um, well, whatever, GS now, then GT3. Like, they'd run two or three series in a weekend. I, so it, it was pretty common, but it was still a lot of fun. And then Jeff does that. Yeah. Rarely. Rarely. He runs the GT3 and his cars. But he doesn't always run GT3. Just Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mosing's old school. He jumps around a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so. And he just bought another GT3 car, so he's doing it again. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So he, he, about halfway through the season, he jumped in a GT3 car and and started started running again. Yeah, I saw the the return of that purple and yellow... uh... Yeah. mauve and yellow yeah, livery, the yeah, whatever, yeah, it whatever it is. Yeah, so. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. So, what was the hardest? So, what was the hardest car to like learn to drive competitively that you like? Where you thought like, yeah, okay, I I, I got this one. I I can compete. Uh, weirdly enough, the one that took me the longest to get my head around was the MX5 Cup car. Really? Yeah, I did. The last thing I raced was an MX5 Cup car. And the weirdest thing about that thing was the brakes. So I, uh, the, this was like way, like the, this was what, when I decided I was not going to be a race car driver anymore was my half season MX-5 Cup. But the brakes on MX-5 Cup car are street brake. So they have the street ABS system. So they, they're, I don't know if I was around a one car team that we kind of, it was another, as, as my career goes, another very low budget program. So you had to cheat the ABS system, but part of it was, and that took me to, to testing with Skip Barber when they had the MX-5 Cup cars to figure it out, was in, in most race cars, hardest you hit the brake pedals straight away. Like you just, boom, going to grenade the pedal. This thing, because it had the ABS, if you did that, you'd get a, a hard, firm pedal, but it wouldn't actually be slowing the car down. Mm-hmm. You actually had to roll into the brake pedal to cheat the ABS <laughs> to get it to slow down. So I'd go into turn five of Road America and like brake, brake, and feel like okay, this thing's not slowing down. And all of a sudden, I'd release brake pressure a little bit, and the thing would stop. Like what the hell? what the hell's going on? Like I don't get it. This is backwards. Yeah, it took me. It took whatever. I think I tested for like a year in in the Skippy MX5 car after I had quit driving when I was still instructing there, and then I, it finally clicked. I'm like, yeah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> this makes so much more sense now. I get it. But it was just the weirdest thing because I'd gone Formula cars and even the Spec Miata that I'd driven a couple of years, the years previous to this MX-5 Cup deal, it was like like I teach, like I know grenade the brake pedal, but getting into a, a street car scenario with a street ABS system, you had to cheat it to keep it from from overloading the system. That was like the hardest car that I that I had to adapt to. The MX-5, the, the Spec Miata drove like a skip barber formula car with body like same kind of role same kind of power all the all the formula cars i drove the pro mazda was a was a usf car on steroids the old the old tub the old the old pro mazda car before the current one that you old now it's called indy pro 2000 mm-hmm. um but those cars all all kind of like the the mode followed in what you would 
proper progression. Sure. And then I get into the MX5 Cup car and I'm lost. I'm like, I know I'm better than this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Something is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was a that was the hardest car that I had to drive. Hmm. Yeah. And it should be. And I will say, I, I, my my experience beyond Formula cars is pretty narrow. Like I've driven driven the the spec me out of the MX5 Cup. That's the only other things that I've raced aside from now, like in in my instructing i've driven like a couple street port of street porsche around um barber for a client that i taught his three days like hey you want to come down and help me with a porsche sure i don't know how to do it but this will be fun sure and uh so yeah so my experience driving big stuff kind of kind of stops at kind of stops at the pro monster car and then everything else has just been from coaching like you learn you start to learn what cars want especially like coaching the gt3 cup series for the last few years that car wants a lot different stuff and you can start to figure out by looking at data and and video about what what each car kind of wants based on based on the driver feedback and my experience in in different things so but yeah the to answer the question short the mx5 cup car is the weirdest thing i've ever driven and that was transitioning you out of driving yeah which can transition us to a new topic exactly which is gonna be great oh andrew you want to touch on the coaching here because he, he again great transition from steve so sure i mean actually everything i was talking about um makes me think about josh because so before we transition to the coaching i guess the whole thing about what makes a driver good or what makes a driver successful seems so opaque to me because racing isn't something i've ever really given a shit about up until the past okay. couple of years like <laughs> yeah it's there cool yep. cars whatever but just stuff, some stuff that you said, like really resonates with me. So you said you had moments, flashes. Yep. And I, well, I don't know that Josh has seen a podium in NASCAR. Uh, he's talking uh, about Balicki. Yeah, Josh okay, Balicki. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Uh, so he races in. Uh, well, he's racing everything now: uh, Xfinity <laughs> yeah. trucks and in um, Monster Cup. Monster, yeah. <clears throat> it's just so you know. He's always talking about pace and always talking about how you know we were on track for this finish, on track for this finish. So that kind of is like moments to me. Yeah. And I guess. When, so when you see other racers, young racers who kind of have the same struggle, do you see your own experience in that? Do oh. you see things where you're like, oh my God, if you just did this, if you just heard this? Uh, for sure. I think the reason, what, and transiting, what makes me a good coach is that it took me three years to figure out how to drive a race car properly. Mm -hmm. Like I never had a me, is the best way to look at it, to, to guide me through it. And, and I can see I can see that in different driver in different drivers I've had and and even in career decisions and stuff like that you look at things you're like man I'd think about that a little bit more but but yeah you can see when a kid has a good a good weekend or you know he's on a team that you know that you know is not is not up to snuff mm -hmm. um, it's like okay you can kind of you can you can see who has something and who might be worth developing and who you know um it definitely it definitely has given me a better perspective on driving struggling the first few years like i did by the time i ended my career in formula cars i was as good as anybody and i can jump i'm still confident to say i can jump in anything at that time could have jumped in anything and been competitive like mm -hmm. i had the last pro mazda race i did i mid-season showed up at road america um i did one one test day that was at pittsburgh that was rain dry to get used to the car should I was qual qualified fifth on pace. I had the fastest lap in qualifying until the last two minutes, and I'd actually spun. And I was in one lap. I spun on lap two and damaged the diffuser, so that hurt the hurt the car. That was my fault. I just screwed it up. But 
I mean, the pace was there. Pace was there. Like, had we messed up the car a little bit, but had pace to run podium. And that was in one race in the series. Like, I jumped in. Dane Cameron was the champion that year. And you guys know where Dane is. So, <laughs> Mr. Penske came a knocking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, like, so I know, I know that my ability was there. And that, that was probably when I ended. I think it probably took me two years to come to grips with what it was when I was done. But it was also like, okay. Looking back at it now, I know as a driver what it took me to get to where I was, and I can work through with guys, even even guys that you know don't may not have the ultimate pace, but I can I can at least I see what they're going through, I see their struggles mm-hmm. to, to try and work their way forward. And to your initial questions, yeah, you can definitely look at a guy and go, okay, you can see if he has those flashes of competence, as I call them, like okay, there's someone that that has the ability if he is in the right scenario, right situation to to make it happen. So what do you think is more important than, I mean, what would be a good way to categorize this? Talent, obviously, is one thing. Yep. Raw talent. Um, consistency, as in all things, is probably another. Yep. And then something like pace, which is probably similar consistency, but I almost could see that as a third thing. Pace, well, pace is, ta- pace and talent, I think, to me, run together. Like, sure. if you have good pace, you're going to be talented. If you have, um, if you're able to run consistent, some guys are consistent, consistent, but not outright fast mm-hmm. so they're consistently six or seven yeah there's lots of that in super trafail <laughs> <laughs> consistently 35 seconds behind yeah, yeah. i mean that, that's consistent that it is. so so yeah so there's a difference between uh, consistency and outright pace and pace and talent to me are the same thing like if you have sure. i mean with racing there's always gray area because some of it could be the car some of it could be the team you're on but at the end of the day if you look at if you look at the kids that are winning in junior formula right now Kyle Kirkwood's, Oliver Hughes, like those kids are fast in whatever they're running. Like that's pace, that's talent, and it doesn't matter. Kirkwood to me is scary good. Kirkwood's damn good. Oh like, my god, yeah. he's gonna be a, yeah, provided you know everything goes. Honda, I, I know Honda's a big like, fan of him. He's gonna, they, he's gonna go places. I yeah, think. I, I like, and Kyle's a good kid. Like I, I worked with Kyle again in, in Skippy. I actually tested him when I was. I brought him to Arms Up to do a test in the USF car. Five years ago, stayed at one of the previous iterations of the world headquarters, and uh, <laughs> uh, Kyle's a good kid, and he's and he's quick, and he and he's the cool thing about Kyle is it's another kid that's done it like Oliver, like Tealitz, they've done it on not family money. Kyle's Kyle doesn't Kyle's parents are not rich people that he's done it on convincing people that he's good enough to keep him in the car, right? And that's that's the cool thing about about Kirkwood, and it's gonna pay off. I'm pretty sure he's gonna win the. The Pro Mazda well, Indy Pro 2000 Championship this year, and Askew, I think, has lights locked up, and Askew is the same deal. Like he and Oliver and, and uh, Kyle were teammates. In Interesting Kyle's. last name for a race driver, Askew. <laughs> like you don't want yeah. things going Askew. Yeah. More of a Formula D name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just look at this Kevin. Smith. I just think of you Askew. So you know. yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess in my head, talking about talent yep. versus pace. I always assume talent to be sort of that intangible. When people talk about, oh, this guy, he just knows how to handle the car. You know, a driver can hop out of the car and tell you, this feels wrong, this feels wrong. That's always something that I associate with talent, or is that kind of its own thing? Just feeling a car. Feeling a car is it's, it's definitely its own thing. Like, the best drivers feel a car. Most importantly, they feel the tire. They can get the feedback from the tire and what, what it's... 
Yeah, they can feel the car. Like yeah. that's so the best guys just have that in it. They can they know the limit. They can feel the limit of the tire. They know they know what the car wants, um, and they can they can respond to feedback of of the car quickly. Like there's guys that can get to that like you say ultimate ultimate pace, but it takes them a little bit longer, and that's just building up to or finding the limit of the car. So I still think I still think that talent like the the talent and pace are together but you can work up work up to being at the ultimate lap time mm-hmm. but the guys that are truly talented and produce the best pace get there the quickest with the least amount of with the least amount of feedback with the least amount of um issue so what's teachable and what isn't <laughs> out of all of that i got an argument with derek daly about this at a skippy shootout one year <laughs> he he and, and his book I, I we've talked about his book i actually haven't read it which Hopefully Derek doesn't know that. Um, I'm pretty sure Derek Daly doesn't listen to us. <laughs> I'm gonna send. Him a, I'm gonna send him a link. Yeah, <laughs> but you do. But, you did coach his son, so yeah. I mean, so yeah, tell Connor about us, would you? Yeah, I will absolutely. So <laughs> have him come on, just real have quick. Have him come on. What the hell? So he, Derek was the one that he said that there's the guys that are the intangibles that have what can't be taught, and I think that's true to a point. I think I think anything anyone that work wants to work hard enough at it can get to that level it's just producing the ability producing the opportunity to be able to drive that much work that hard to get to that level so there's a lot that's teachable the the one the one thing i've found that i can't teach and i refuse to even try is (laughs) um work ethic like the guys that are the fastest you are a coach (laughs) (laughs) and and i mean like i mean it true like the guys that i can i can teach someone how to drive a race car well i can't teach someone how to win a race yeah they have to want to do that on their own, and I've worked with I've worked with drivers that want to be want to be race car drivers that don't have that tenacity to go after the last bit to go after what it takes to win, and that's that I think to me is the one part that's unteachable. Like you have to have that that selfishness, that center self centered personality to just attack at all costs to win. Like that's I think to me that's the one thing that's not that's not teachable that needs to be that comes from within you can't you can inspire someone to do something to a point but at some point they're going to have to want to want to do it on their own otherwise there's no point that you can't you can't get to that point yeah so where does that goal lie i mean what is the is that a you know desire to win a championship is that a desire to make it to the next level or just a desire to be the fastest on this lap right now i, I think it's that i think i think the guys that the guys that are the best have they want to be the best at Whatever, whatever it is they're doing at that moment, mm-hmm. they want to win practice. Yeah, they yeah. want to win the open yeah. test. And they want to win. They, and and to that <laughs> to that point, they want to get. The, they know to do that. The win, winning the practicing is okay. I need to make the need to get the car to do this for the race. So it might not be ultimately winning practice, but their end game is always what's going to make them poss- win a possible possibly win a race. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can you can go through all the planning, you can go through all the all the information, give someone that all that knowledge. And at the end of the day, they're the ones that have to take it and run through with it and make it work. Like that's the that's the hardest that's the hardest thing. I, I don't think it can be taught. I think it has to come. From, I I look at and um, when I talk to uh, um other when I well when I look at other drivers and the, the Tealitz for example, I've, I've coached Aaron Tealitz now for six years, and Aaron has that that knack like to just go for it like he wants to get the most out of the car he wants to and you don't have to teach it out of the car he's the one that's driving driving his career like if you have someone that's 
like I'm, I use rich kids as an example most of the time where their dad or whoever is the one driving their career, they're not going to make it. Like there's, there's kids that come from money that have that kind of drive that make it. And then there's kids that come from money or kids that don't have money that think they're pretty good. That'll get to a certain point and just kind of fade away. I actually put myself in that, in that category of someone who had talent, a meteor, you know, a little bit of money made it to a point. I'm like, I have to work this hard to do it, to drive race cars. It's not, not worth it to me anymore. <laughs> I, I just can't, I can't get, can't get my head around it. I, I'd been, you know, I'd been coaching. I like the coaching thing. It's kind of fun. I make money at the racetrack. I'm gonna do that. There you go. So, so yeah, I think I think that last bit that's just not teachable. Go ahead. So let's say that Nick. <laughs> let's say that Nick has that that drive to win. Practice. I mean, let's say <laughs> he's an experienced Carter. Yep. Just, I mean, we all know that. Mm-hmm. Countless hours in iRacing. Yep. Just won a Ferrari 488 GT3 race on iRacing. Yes, he was proud to tell us at dinner. And he owns a, a PlayStation 4. He's yes. got Gran Turismo. <laughs> yeah. And the feedback wheel. Yeah, okay, well, there you go. It's not free. Race car drivers <laughs> have been spawned from Gran Turismo. So ah, no, yeah. So knowing, ah, all, yes. so knowing all these things, how long would it take to polish this pebble into a, into a diamond for Pro-Am GT racing? So if, if I were to... If I were Financially, like I'll get myself into shape, full focus, like just to get to something like a, like in the SRO, like a TC or TCR, and be able to like. Can two you get years. me there in two years? Can you get me there in ten? Is it two. never going to happen? I can do it in two years. Can you get me there in two years? Yeah. If you if you if you have some of that pace and outright talent, <laughs> I can do it in a year. <laughs> but no, I mean, and so right now, there's so much opportunity to get into racing there's so many more entry-level series in all aspects of it whether it's whether it's formula cars with the lucas oil school of racing whether it's spec miata or there's so many more arrive and drive programs than when i than even when i started 15 20 years ago in cars like there was skip barber and that was it like there wasn't <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't the rental shops that there are now there, there wasn't nearly as prevalent but i mean if you look at you can go from spec miata to mx5 cup to tcr and in world challenge pretty rapidly like you can you can do that you can knock that out in two years if you like i said if you if you can take all the time and focus on it yeah two years you think you have to have a conversation with claire i think i have a conversation with our boss for some sponsorship (laughs) (laughs) milwaukee tool will not sponsor race cars no they won't (laughs) no they won't i work in the department that makes that decision australia does sponsor race cars sadly all over they sponsor everything we actually brought a guy in from the australian team to to help us out up here and he's been trying to bark up that tree like crazy because he sees down there how it works oh it's it's i mean and a company like milwaukee tool that's that's their client like motorsports fans. Well, baby steps. They were at Road America. They are at Road America. They're the official tool of Road America. Finally. Oh, wow. So we've got there's no the, signs anywhere. No, I think we've got no, some on the front stretch, stretch on yeah. the front stretch banners on the pit wall. That's yes. true. And yes. I thought And on the big sign where they post all the official everything. Yes. And I know they had engineers walking around talking to race teams figuring Ooh, out how that to they use did. tools. Yep. Well yeah, we're not gonna get into that. There's some to be to be announced stuff yeah. there from the company that we can't talk about, but yeah. So I need to talk. I need to get. I need to find funding. Yes, that'd yeah. be the first thing. And that's and, and that's maybe this podcast gets super popular. I could just slap a podcast sticker on the side of the there car. Yeah, call it a day. Call it yeah, a day. That'd be rad. Um, that'd be dope. <laughs> um, you need a co-driver. You let me know. <laughs> I, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, because it's not me. <laughs> I'm slow. It's not these two. Yeah. Hey. 
I am. I, am, I, didn't, I, can, I, only, I can only speak for me. I am I a self-admitted <laughs> flashes of competence guy. So, um, is there is there something that like say you you sign up a new client, you're gonna get right in like there's something you know. Okay, everybody does this. Everybody makes this mistake. Like, what's the thing that's like the most common you have to try to coach out of somebody or like change that behavior? Usually, it's the dad running the career. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so it's off the track. Yeah, off the. I mean, on track. I mean, most of the kids that I that I that I've started to work with, or most of the drivers, they're already kind of in a program and in a direction. And once you start there, it's whatever that is. You're kind of like, okay, this is this is the path you're going to go. So we're going to make the best of it. We're going to. Mm-hmm. This is our budget. This is what we're going to do. I mean, the biggest thing. Um, that I try and stop guys is wasting money in dumb in dumb places. Where basically what I did, where if you're in cars, you don't race go karts anymore. It's a waste of money. Like you're, just, you're you need to focus on on the cars, or you know, basically how to how to focus whatever budget you have to make that the most valuable. I think that's like people will get drawn in so like how many different spheres of influence you have. Who who's talking to you? Trying to narrow that field so that it's it's much more much more direct, and you have a plan then that's probably the biggest thing. Like people get advice from too many places, which is difficult to say because, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that would give bad advice. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm in that category, but some people might. So you, <laughs> <laughs> it depends on yeah. who you ask. Everybody thinks everybody else is in that category. Exactly. So, so you have to be, you have to figure out what you think is the best way to go. And, and most of it is off track. Off track is, is the where you're going to mess up the most. That's not an answer I was expecting. Yeah. On track, on track, it's pretty straightforward. You, I, I have the same method with every driver from when I started coaching in go karts. Go out, drive how you drive, and we'll go from there. Okay. Like if you go out, like I, I do very little initial, and here's the thing: like this track running, this car running, I want you to go drive, and then we can figure it out from there. Because if I try to instruct someone on you know, give give them general generalities what this car likes or what this what this track needs or whatever. But if I try to start coaching them before I see them drive, it's very hard. Now you're starting to, you're starting to lead people in one way. If you send them out, let them do what they're going to do, then you can start to build from there. Otherwise, otherwise that's and that's pretty much it. That's that's see what they're doing on track, figure out what what the biggest chunks or things that they need. Most of the time, it's just depending upon who I'm working with. Like if it's a new guy, just okay. We need to figure out line where the car goes on the racetrack, how to make sure it stays there in the same place. But, but yeah, in in the realm that I like to coach in, which is mostly kids coming up um, in junior formula, it's how to focus how to focus the career forward. The on track stuff we're going to deal with the same way we always deal with. Just whatever comes to us, we're going to make we're gonna make the best of it. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah that that answer threw me off. That's where, good. Where were, where were you? Good. Where, well, I was just thinking more mechanics, like eyes up, or you know. I mean, that stuff. That stuff. So, like that. That's three day stuff. That's like initial. Yeah. Initial school. You sure. know, you show up. Show up at your first three day. You're looking at the looking at cone to cone to cone. Like most of the kid. Like a lot of the stuff that I work with is kids that have raced at a decent level in carts or guys that have been in cars for a reasonable amount of time. Like, Got it. So more I'm, advanced. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, now with my career kind of venturing more into spotting. Um, it, it, that, the coaching realm of it, that, that basically obviously becomes a lot, a lot smaller of the, of the, of the world that I live in. I think Steve's got to come back just to help us with our transitions. Cause he just transitioned us into <laughs> spotting. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It's good work. Tristan, you want to take, do you want to take us through spotting? 
Yeah, I think a good place to start, because we do have a fair amount of either very road car focused people or just people who, for whatever reason, think we're fun to listen to <laughs> um, that aren't super heavy race fans. Just could you okay. do like a you know, super thumbnail sketch of what it's all entailed in spotting. Spotters are professional car watchers. That's awesome. Us. That's us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So why, why do we have to pay to get in then? Because uh, <laughs> I, I get paid to watch. Like, that's the that's professional. We can have connections. Yeah. So, spotting, I'm the driver's second set of eyes. Okay. And the team's extra set of eyes. So, I, I communicate directly with the driver, let them know on an IndyCar, the Indy 500, it's what cars are around them, what's clear, very basic, clear, not clear. Car inside, car outside. You're letting them know so they can focus on going forward. Sports cars, it becomes a little bit, little bit different, but same, same basic principle. Cars are around. What kind of cars are around? And especially now with the GT3 cars, the back windows and mirrors are getting smaller and smaller, so it's getting harder to see out the back of them. And the the super whiz bang camera does not work all the time. <laughs> um, it never does. Technology yeah. never works when you need it to. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, in the, in the short of it, I'm the extra set of eyes for the driver. Cool. To be to be very simple about it. The, you know. You've worked with a lot of different drivers and different series and stuff. Are there any similarities and like what? Obviously, you talk about basic stuff like car behind, yeah. car left, car like like that's factual. Yeah. But it, it does. Do most of these guys want the same kind of thing as far as other information, or is it like you know somebody there's the color of the car car behind them, or like they're asking there, for all different. There's stuff. variances across the board. So the first. The first time I spotted the 24 Hours of Daytona, I had, it was John Andretti, his son, can't remember, can't remember his son's first name, and then Anders Krohn and uh, a kid from Canada, I can't remember, Taylor, Taylor Hackard. And John wanted me to talk the entire lap. Anything that happened, anything that was going on around, like, he wanted as much information as possible. And then the flip side of that, Pat Long. Inside clear, outside clear, that's it. As little information as possible. He wants to know if he's clear. He doesn't like a lot of talking on the radio. Um, so that's that. And then everywhere in between, Robin Robin Liddell. I spotted the first time I spotted for Stevenson was the twenty four hour uh, in two thousand twelve. John Edwards, who I'm really good friends with, brought me and he wanted me to be the spotter. So I went to the roar. And I'm not kidding you. Every session after the roar, I'd come down and talk to the team, and Robin would have a little tweak. A little, uh, like I'm a carburetor. I want a little bit, low, little more low speed, a little more high speed. Like, like just little tweaks. And I'm like, okay, did it. And every and, and every time, they're like, that was good. But but, and the more I got to know Robin, that's just Robin. <laughs> the the that was good, but is a pretty standard. <laughs> but yeah, so each every driver wants something a little bit different. So you tailor, I tailor what I do to what the driver wants. And so, with that in mind, do are you brought to the team by the driver, or does the team hire you as a spotter, it's, and then you work out with the driver and figure out what they want? It or? depends. Like the when I, well, that's not even true. When when I went to Stevenson, the the team, the driver brought me in. Edward John Edwards brought me in because the guy they had they had previously didn't really like. When the first job, <laughs> there's so, my, it sounds so high school. There's more to that story. The first job I had was actually Team Ray Hall's BMW BMW program at Road Atlanta. That was my first quote unquote, my first pro spotting gig, and we were it was a Skippy weekend, and 
Mike Zemicki, who was another driver coach, who was Graham's coach through Atlantics and stuff like that. Actually, Danica's any anyone that Ray Hall's had kind of come through. Mike has coached. Um, Ray Hall was looking for a spotter for that race. Mike couldn't do it. I was already at Road Atlanta for the Skippy Nationals. Like, hey, you want to do this? Yeah, sure. sure. Okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, so they I changed my flight, and they I spotted for both BMWs, which which uh, was fun. Is that just hitting the channel on the? Yeah. So. Uh, and since I'd never done it before, I didn't realize this was a dumb thing to do. But so I'd sit, I was sitting at turn five at Road Atlanta and I'd watch them coming over the, coming over the crest at three. Cause they were really worried about, that was when the Peugeots were there. So they were worried about the prototypes dive bombing them down the S's. So literally I'd clear, I'd, they'd come pop over. One was blue, two was red. And the, by blue and red, I mean the band on the windscreen. Yeah, other than that, there was no they, difference. They were identical. Yeah, I remember those colors. Yeah. So <laughs> literally just, back, the thing is 2010. So back and forth for the 10 hours. And then when it got nighttime, I couldn't, like, all I saw was headlights coming out. So I just walked up to the edge of the track to try and see see what was coming and what was what, what they had coming behind them. And that, it was to the point where at night I couldn't see, I could only see them coming in front of me. And I'm like, I'm forgetting, I'm like, man, they're going to fire me. I have no, like, this is terrible. I can't give them the right information. And I come up, that was great. You did awesome. I'm like, and and Bobby Rahal, who was on the radio at the time, I'd known Bobby from when I was karting. I met him through He Owned the Stars Karting Series, and I bugged him about being able to drive race cars and stuff because, you know, that's what you do. And Bobby's like, oh, I didn't know that was you. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, they, they brought me back. And Scott, Scott Remke, before he passed on, was the team manager at Rahal. He was an amazing guy, and I got to know him there. And they were going to bring me on to Indy right after that. And I remember telling him what I thought was a reasonable day rate, which I've come to learn for indie spotters was actually really high. And he's like, man, that's a lot of money, but, but you're worth it. And that was like the best compliment I think I've ever gotten <laughs> from, from a guy like Scott Remke, who was like insanely good at what he did. So that was, that was really cool. But that's how I got started. So I got brought in by the team for that one. And then Edwards brought me to the team. Um, so, and then, then it's been a mix ever since. So when I, when I first did the 500, Pippa brought me in. She was, she didn't, wasn't happy with who they had. And that was a fun, fun job. Cause I was half in the bag when I pitched it to her that, Hey, you need a spotter for Indy. So <laughs> that, was, that was a good time. And she did. And, yeah, so <laughs> sure, yeah, like, later, like, so you never know unless you ask. Yeah, exactly. And booze helps. <laughs> Liquid courage. People are a lot more accepting yeah, with booze. Exactly. All you drivers out there. Wait, not you drivers out there. <laughs> so, Forget that. Um, we can edit that out. But yeah, so Pippa, Pippa brought me in at, at the 500. She actually lied to the team and told them that I had done Indy before, which I didn't know until I was <laughs> It's like, cool. Awesome. This is fun. Um, and then now I'm, now I'm pretty much hired by the teams. I've, I've, I've done enough where networking yeah networking and everyone most of the a lot of the instapatic knows me or knows who i am or i'd I'd like to think at least in gt3 area either through my one business through the apparel business where i sell to them or just from being spotted like when i when i went to dempsey the i spotted for patrick dempsey's team for two seasons uh don't tell my mom that oh yeah I, I, at my you, office, you, you spotted for McDreamy. Yeah, yeah. Whispered sweet nothings into his ear for an entire night. <laughs> what, what years? Uh, the podium year and the year before that. So two thousand and I know what's coming next. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Too early. The, <laughs> man, the years are running running together. I think sixteen. I think two thousand sixteen was when they podium. It was the right Dempsey team, and then the year before that was my first year with them. In I think it was fifteen and sixteen. 
No, that was right here. Yeah. Then they were running the Tully's Coffee livery. Yes, 15. I keep trying to find anything from that team because that's my last name. And <laughs> because of what, because of how that team folded and because of what happened with... No, so Tully's was 14. Oh, it was 14. Yeah, that's right. Was, no, because that was yeah. only one year. Tully's was 2014, and that was... Uh, oh, who's the lawyer that just... Uh, uh, it was Stormy Daniels' yeah, lawyer. Yeah, Stormy Daniels' lawyer. Yeah. 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 And he, he basically promised... From what I understand, he promised the world to that to, to Dempsey's group, and that completely fell through. Which well, and Tully's Coffee as well, because they were positioned to be the official coffee sponsor of um, IMSA before they transitioned to... Well, no, because Tully's was still available in the official suite for a couple of years afterwards. Oh, really? Yeah. So, oh, wow. But that, that whole deal with basically... What's his name? Michael, Michael Avenatti. Avenatti yeah. promised the world, and that, of course, fell through, which was funny. When he popped up with, with in the news lately, I'm like... Ah, this isn't good. <laughs> so, but yeah, so the next year was when was when Joe Foster was still running the team in fifteen, and that and I had actually been selling apparel to them through the one business. So I was on the phone with Joe, I'm like, "Hey, you guys need a spotter for the twenty four? Let me know." Because that at that point, Stevenson Stevenson was doing GS, and Edwards had moved on, so I didn't. Edwards wasn't doing the twenty four. It was before G, Grand Am, and so I. I was like, hey, Joe, you let me know if you need a guy. And they brought me in, and Pat, Patrick really liked me. And, and uh, so that so I stayed with them for a couple of years. And that's actually how I got hired on at Wright Motorsports. Nice. Because the next year, when Johnny was running it, I called, same thing, I called Johnny. I'm like, hey, we did the apparel, and I was a spotter. And I'm like, yeah, come on and spot. And then I've been with Wright Motorsports for the last four years. There you go. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's, but yeah, so long story short, team, team or driver brings me in, and it just depends on the situation. But now he's famous. Yeah. But now he's famous. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I have, oh, I have, that, that was the other thing. I have a I have a bottle of champagne and a little handwritten note from Patrick from the podium season said, "Congrats on Daytona." Oh, so wow, yeah, it was one of my <laughs> highest liked pictures on Facebook when I posted that one. Nice. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of female likes. I'm sure. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, with <laughs> without naming any names, like, what's the best? most memorable funniest radio exchange that you've had with a driver like is there is it like a leave me alone i know what i'm doing key me moment uh, I can, at some I, point i, I, I like, can actually name names and he's going to be really embarrassed but i was when trent hinman first started going from from go-karts to cars i was his coach and we were at road america and at the time whatever it was in skip barber series and trent was 12 or 13 and his voice was Sky high pitch. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, so, really, with him in the room. <laughs> so, so oh, Trent. At one point, like the radios kept coming in and out, cutting in and out because it's Road America, so the distance it's so and, and, yeah. and we basically just duct taped the radios into a Skip Barber car, and that's how we got radio <laughs> communication. So he's coming up from Canada, Billy Mitchell, and I'm, I didn't have a headset because the radios were so bad. So I'm just trying to listen. And there's probably ten or fifteen people around us. And Trent at full volume at full high pitch. These guys are driving like a bunch of fuck. And cuts out. Like the radio cuts out right there. That's it. That's all I heard. Everyone looked around and started howling. And I remind him of it to this day. That's that's one of my favorite. I, I talked with him on the grid at Watkins this year. His his voice is not that high anymore. No, no. He he sounds like a serial killer on the radio now. Like, I can't remember the not remember the name of the movie, but it's the one where the guy, it's about a CB radio thing, which you call a guy calls Candy Crane, and that's how Trent sounds. I am not kidding. It is the deepest voice you've ever heard. It's stereo killer, and Mike Sweeney will back me up on this because he says the same thing. That's how that, goes, that's how that usually goes with everybody but yeah. me. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, that's probably one of the funniest, funniest radio exchange. Um, Tealus and I will always quote movies, whether it, on radio checks, it's either, um, oh, that was, that's the second best one. So Tealus was driving a Formula Ford at Summit Point in West Virginia. And um, it was a morning, morning warm up and typical, hey, AT, how's the car? And he jumps on the radio, and those of you who are fans that are super true, he's like, good enough to your mother! <laughs> and the team's like, what happened? What, 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 what? I'm, I'm rolling over, I'm rolling over <laughs> laughing in the stand. Like, I'm dying. And like, no, no, it's fine. We're just going to pit. <laughs> We're just going to pit. Oh, yeah, ten more pit. But, yeah, so Aaron and I will do every, every radio check is a movie quote without, without fail. And this year at... At Indy, Charlie Kimball is very, very meticulous. Uh, very, he's an engine. His dad's his dad's ex ex uh, McLaren and Ferrari technical director. Oh, so he's well, great fun at parties. Engineering. <laughs> Char- Charlie gets his dad's engineering brain. So every radio check is radio check to the stand. Radio <laughs> check to the radio check to the engineer. Radio check to spotter. There's a, there's a process. Yes. So after a while, I started getting bored. So I figured I'm going to crack him. <laughs> So finally, like I just started doing Top Gun. I went through my whole my whole repertoire, which Top Gun, Star Wars, and <laughs> and Super Troopers mostly. No Talladega Nights. Uh, no, uh, no, no, as much as I love that movie, it's it's mostly that one. That one we leave alone. But what it's got him, what got him to laugh was crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland does. That was my radio check, and it actually started laughing on it. I was pretty proud of that one because I got him to crack. You got him. To crack. <laughs> All right. he's, he's an engineer. It's everything's yeah. a process. So that was. Yeah. But yeah, so if, if anyone ever scans my scans my radio, if I spot spot for Charlie, it's always I'm going to try and make him laugh when he asks when he does my radio check. I I didn't I was I listened to actually I listened to Charlie a lot in Indy this year because we had already obviously yep. been in contact and I knew you were spotting for him, so um, you did good. Thank you. Uh, I I didn't uh, I didn't catch you early enough to make the radio <laughs> check though. Um, Fifteen minutes before, generally when the radio check happens. I, I mean, headset is not on. Fifteen. Minutes <laughs> as, as, as we're still finishing to tune in. We're still finishing uh, beers at yeah. that point. The cars haven't started, so the bus <laughs> have not gone on. So, Indy, Indy, I'm up in the stand like an hour before the race just to get to the stand. Like it's ridiculous because there's so many people there. Oh. The hundredth, the hundredth. I think I, I, I was, gonna, I thought I was going to miss the start. Like I got out of the tunnel under the under the front stretch tunnel. And the world stopped, and I stood in place for 45 minutes. Oh, thinking like. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, like yeah, I mean, hundredth is a special thing. Yeah. I had never seen a crowd. Oh, God, it was it was it was amazing. Yeah, it, it I'm was, glad I was very high up, but once I got there, because that was way too many people. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have liked it at all. I'm having yeah. a panic attack just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, oh man, it was it three hundred thousand of your closest friends, man. <laughs> just he doesn't have that. No, he doesn't have that many friends. No, <laughs> I don't have nine. Not three hundred. Nope, not even three. <laughs> so, um. Another transition here because, again, you were just kind of peppering this stuff in, little teasers. You talked about the merchandising business, yep. and it kind of led to some of your spotting gigs, and that's how we got to know you yep. was through um, you and your sister running uh, Styled Aesthetic. Yep. Um, so talk about where the idea for that business came about. Where, where, what's the story behind the name? <laughs> um, All right, so let's start with, start with, with so my best friend from high school is Kyle. Um, Hi, Kyle. I, I doubt he will listen to this. He is not a racing guy, weirdly enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I'll, I'll show it to him. He'll, 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 he might listen to a bit of it, but this, 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 racing is not his gig. 
Yeah, so, minute and fourteen in. So just so you can, he, he can hear his shout yeah, out. An yeah. hour and fourteen. Yeah, 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 that's right. Right. Minute and fourteen. Yeah, hour and fourteen heads. minutes. Yeah. Um, so right about the, actually the start of my MX Five Cup season, I, I I started to see the writing on the wall as far as driving race cars professionally and as that being it. And I knew like I I had been instructing at Skip Barber for about five years. Into that, I'd run a I'd, I'd done a, a couple. I run a go kart team for a customer in Minneapolis for his kids and a couple other clients. So I knew like racing was still going to be a part of it. I knew it was going to be coaching, but I also wanted to have something that wasn't just racing. And coming from entrepreneurial background that I had with my dad running his own company for as long as I, from when I was a baby on, like my dad started working for his dad when he was 12. So working for someone was not going to be very good for me. <laughs> Fair enough. So Kyle, Kyle had been printing t-shirts in his basement for fun. He's an artist. He's a graphic designer by trade. and and he was kind of in a job where it was, we were looking at him like, well, I mean, I know, I know this industry. I can probably sell into it, and you're really good at art. Um, why don't we, why don't we talk about it? So we literally talked about it for like six months. We wrote up, I wrote up some business plans, like had some ideas. And then in August was the IMSA weekend at Road America. It was my last professional race. I crashed a guy in the front straight away, got my qualifying times taken away, and Pretty much was miserable the entire weekend. And I got done with that weekend. I'm like, I'm done. So that's when I really, the, the planning for that went into high gear. And in Mar- well, in November, we started printing our first customer stuff. And in January of 2009, we incorporated. And basically, I sent an email, a blanket email to everyone I had ever met in motorsports. and said, hey, I'm doing this now. And I, you know, I've been around it for at that point fifteen years. I had a fairly, fairly good sized network already because I, I mean, I business minded. I was, I have a marketing degree from Whitewater, so in the me too. Go work. You jumped up. So (laughs) fighting purple eagles. So, (laughs) (laughs) so as we, so as I kind of made that transition, when when I knew when okay, this is what I'm going to do. I just sent out that email and and we kind of ran with it and we worked out. Kyle, Kyle kept his full time job and I kept instructing at Skippy and, and developing my coaching business at the same time. And we slowly started making it. So I think the first year in business first in, in from January, 2009, we did like $26,000. Just, we had a single little press in his basement. And the next year we doubled that. The next year we doubled that. And our first real, when Kyle quit his job was, June of 2010, and somehow I, uh, David Hobbs Honda was the sponsor of the IndyCar race the Milwaukee Mile, and Greg, Greg, I coached Andrew Hobbs for for like five or six years. The family is amazing friends. My Type R came from David Hobbs Honda, 6100 North Green Bay Avenue. Um, <laughs> Put me in a Honda. <laughs> the Greg might listen to this. <laughs> Shameless plug. Um. So so I went with Greg to the first press press conference for it in January. I think they were announcing the title sponsor or something like that and went up to the promoter. I'm like, hey, can we do the event t-shirts? And they had contracted with a marketing company to do like event sales. So they put me in touch with him and the guy way over ordered. He ordered like 5,000 shirts for the Milwaukee Mile race. Yeah. And we were still in the <laughs> Did 5,000 people show up for that race? No, no, <laughs> definitely not 5,000 t-shirt buyers. Um, <laughs> but he, so... We we did this we did this contract, um, 
We, at the, the time, we were in the basement. It was, he was living in a duplex. His grandma had just moved into a home out of the first floor, and he was in the upstairs of it. So we ordered 5,000 shirts. We filled up the kitchen and <laughs> uh, kitchen area and dining area with all the boxes. We started moving them down. A month straight, we printed those shirts and a couple of other jobs on top of it while I was going back and forth to, to races. And that, that was when Kyle quit and that was when we focused on doing it i think we stayed in the and to the guy's credit who ordered those he paid us he paid us in full like he did not he lost it he had to lose his shirt on that deal like terribly but he paid well, us he had a ton full. of them to replace his shirt so. exactly yeah no like Ooh. but <laughs> but but he uh but yeah to his no? credit okay paid us, <laughs> paid us in full and that that kind of launched that deal from there and the first that was our first massive job when Kyle when Kyle went full time and that was a big step because I've I've always kind of been part time because I've always had and as much as I say part time I still probably average over forty hours a week there but that's beside the point. Um, so we started building it from there, but our first real big name client was actually Dempsey Race. Mm-hmm. So at the time when I sent that blanket email out, part of my business plan was like we can do online stores. We couldn't do online stores. Um, <laughs> so Jim, <laughs> so Jim Jordan was the he was a marketing manager at Mazda. He was one of the three main guys that developed Mazda Motorsports with John Doonan and Dean Case. Like they were, they were kind of the three that were big into it. And I think Steve, there's another guy I can't remember his name, but but Jim was big into Mazda. And at the time, Dempsey was running Mazdas, and they didn't have like a merchandise outlet. So Jim emails me. He says, hey, I think I got a project for you. I'm like, cool. I emailed back. I think it might be Mazda. He's like, come by. I think we're at VIR. Like, so I stopped by at VIR. He's like, yeah, I want you to do an online Dempsey store. I'm like, what now? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you can ship internationally and stuff, right? I'm like, yeah, sure. Not a problem. We'll get this done. That was in, I think we did the deal at end of May. And by June, I had a website up and running. Wow. And end of June, I had a website up and running and ready to go. And I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I was like, Kyle, we're doing this, and we won it, and that's kind of, that's how we've developed our business is basically, I sell something that we shouldn't be able to do, and Kyle figures out how to do it. <laughs> it's a good friend. Yeah, no, yeah, he, I, he, <laughs> he has probably wanted to murder me about, oh, a thousand times. <laughs> you told them what? Yeah, yeah, no, we did that. All but right, all right, all right, hold on. <laughs> the, one of my favorites was Patro- when we got Patron ESM as a customer. Mm-hmm. Um, that was through a uh, contact at OMP. We do a lot of work for OMP and Sparco for their, for contract work for their Nomexes and suits. Guy from OMP calls me. He's like, hey, ESM needs some Nomex in Baltimore this week. It was Monday. <laughs> they had to be there on Thursday. And we had already just signed like one of our biggest, a big job for us at the time that had to be do that. We got like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. I happened to be going to Baltimore, so I knew I could bring them with me. So I think we did that work till like, I don't know, I think I was at the shop till midnight that night, go home, pack, and then leave at 6 a.m. to go to Baltimore on the Thursday. But by doing that, the girl from the marketing girl from Patron was like, oh, you guys do good work. And we, I think we worked with them up until the last year that they were in the series, like huge, huge client of ours. And the other, another kind of breakout, like, okay, you know, you're, we're a legitimate business. And we moved out of the basement in 2012. That was a next step. And then, Weirdly enough, when we brought on Heidi to do her retail stuff, that was another another Dempsey deal with Jim Jordan, mm-hmm. and that's what that was kind of the impetus to bring to bring on another a person and start the whole at track at track retail business. 
So I, all, all the my my business career has all been inter, intertwined. Like from right. as soon as we started, styled. Uh, oh, the name. Yes. Styled. Yes. Styled aesthetic. Stephen Kyle. Styled. Wow. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's my kind of thing. <laughs> I love that. So I was originally so my coaching company. I've I've had the name Linear Sport as my coaching company since before, even while I was still racing. Mm -hmm. So the original plan was to do linear graphics or linear aesthetic build on my already somewhat established brand name. But there's a guy working in brand marketing. I would say that's a pretty good decision. (laughs) There was already a linear graphics in Milwaukee. I'm sure sure that one's taken. (laughs) You got to do the Google search. Yep. So, so that's when we started bouncing around ideas and I, I think I came up with it and hindsight being 2020, we would not have ever named it that again because it's very, very hard to say, very hard to spell it. Everyone thinks you mu- have peanut butter in your mouth when you say it. I can relate. Yeah. Our podcast name is too long. <laughs> Check Engine Podcast? Yes. It's really? too long. No? I'm the only one? I no. I, I mean, it, it's, got, it's got meaning to it. Like That's no, true. You want to talk about a hard one to say. You want to hear favorites. <laughs> what? My brother's sneaker. Oh, come <laughs> on. two S's in a row. That's oh, hard on. to say. But no, I Diction really think... Diction is hard. I... I well, you know, not to get completely off topic, but yeah, I think I'd go for a different name. Also, everyone thinks we're a repair podcast. That's the trick. I, I can get that. We, I've, I've, people have thought that we were a, uh, a hair salon. Oh, shit. Yeah, that was, that was the weirdest one. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that was, that was a strange one. It hasn't happened a lot, but I, have, I had, did happen once. I actually think it's a great name. I, I'm not. Yeah. I have nothing wrong with the name. I just wanted to figure out no, style aesthetic. I think it's. Yes. I think it's a great. Yeah, name. the. I like. I like. I definitely wanted something that wasn't blah blah printing mm. or blah blah graphics. I wanted something <laughs> that was something that was different. Something that was wasn't. And that's just kind of my personality. Well, it makes it sound like you were an all-in-one solution right exactly. when you started. Exactly. So, so that's what Even we were. though you were. Yeah. <laughs> we provide an entire aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. now, though, they actually... Yeah, well, now they, they are. They've yeah. grown into the yeah, name. they've grown yeah, and it works. But, yeah, so it, it literally it was just... Linear, was, linear wasn't available, and it was a play on our names. And then aesthetic just sounded... Literally just sounded cool in my mind. I'm like, mm-hmm. we're going with it. <laughs> Fair enough. I think it's yeah. great. No, again, this is not slighting the name. I just wanted to figure out how they got it yeah and then yeah so yes and then then the retail stuff came through through dempsey again but i think i mentioned (laughs) so besides yes we know we need to give you more money but what (laughs) needs to happen so cep is like the the brand to get in the style garage on race how about top selling podcast (laughs) that's a tough one yeah well yeah (laughs) say let's yeah let's beat dinner with razors (laughs) okay sure it's gonna be a battle yeah those guys those guys are fun i think you guys are fans of that show too though right Um, to be honest i've never listened really (laughs) i've never listened It's, it's got some interesting stuff we, my my fiance the one time she listened to it we were driving back from Colorado and it was the Robin Miller episode and all she heard was him eating chips there was no other words there was just him eating chips so she she does not let, care for the podcast because it's just people eating chips mm-hmm. but um, fair <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan of I've listened to a few of them we actually me and a buddy going down to Indy yeah um, their three part Kawiki episode oh I I, I ate all that up because that knew. was our trip down and yeah. back was yeah. listening to that but I'm a fan of everything with racers jokes yeah. what he just said what? he ate it all out get it now uh, uh, oh no <laughs> well I mean I, I mean, he's cool in that <laughs> yeah. I, did, I, I did not I did not do that on purpose that was not that was not an intentional pun 
yeah, I, I was a fan of Eversley anyway. Yeah, but, but the the quickie episodes were really well done, and I knew I knew, well. I've, I know Jim Trail real well. I've been on the racing roundup since I was. I think the first time I went on there, I was like fifteen or something like that. But but when they interviewed Jim, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, we stop good... bigging up other podcasts. Yeah, now we're talking about <laughs> racing roundups. A radio show, totally different. <laughs> it's AM radio, man. AM radio. AM radio. <laughs> Um, How do we beat him, though? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's next besides just giving you more money to produce more stuff for us? Oh. <laughs> uh, keep doing what you're doing. I mean, it's fun. Like that's that's what works so well for for not to name other podcasts, but <laughs> other podcasts. Yeah, it's a world. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, you guys have have your have a unique thing and just keeping keeping going and and that's that's it. Like it's, I mean, it's all about how people perceive you and, and the fun stuff you can do with it. Like even, even if you try to develop our generic racer brand, which is basically a, a buddy of mine's Twitter handle. Yeah. You know, it, they, even, even that who has a decent following on Twitter, it's hard because it's, you, ha- you have to put so much effort just into branding. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's social media branding is a full-time job. Yeah. Like it's, it's extremely difficult. And, yeah, and then I and, got a real job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and we have real jobs on top yeah, of no, it. I mean, uh, on top of all this, I run a, I own a mountain bike racing team, and mm-hmm. I'm trying, trying to run that at the same time as all this. It's just, it's just crazy. It's a nightmare. Crazy. Yeah. Can we put in specific merch requests? Absolutely. I would love uh, the we can race it in men's sizes. Oh, cool! Wow. I put that question. I put that request in with Heidi, and she looked at me like I was weird. I was like. <laughs> What I, I didn't think it was that. I mean, request. we will. I will do it. We can do a special order next time. We yeah, I'll take three. Yeah. All right. There you go. <laughs> Very cool. Um, before we get you out of here, we normally do a round of rapid fire. Okay. With uh, so this is not a whole lot of explanation needed. We'll just kind of go around the horn here. Um, first car, 1990 Pontiac Grand Prix five speed. Oh, that's a classic. That's a classic college car right there. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned that car. Yeah, exactly. We did, we did mention that. I, just, I destroyed the gearbox on it, so that was fun. Oh, well. Yeah. You gotta learn somewhere. Yeah. What soups would you eat as a popsicle? <laughs> <laughs> That's not on the list. That's not on the list. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very surprised and slightly tomato, disgusted. Tomato soup. Everyone says, yeah. That's, not everyone. It's the only one that makes sense. I just asked my wife that the other day. I was like... Definitely tomato. <laughs> what about a, like a broccoli cheese? <laughs> that was my second thought, but that's my, favorite, that's my favorite soup. And I'm like, that would be awful for like, like tomato. tomato. Like, it kind okay. of makes sense. <laughs> what soup would you eat? Tomato is good though. I think <laughs> correct. Yes, thank you. You passed that one. <laughs> We've covered current car. You mentioned you got a Type R, so I'm going to skip that one. Um, who could eat more wings in one sitting, Tony Stewart or Juan Pablo Montoya? Oh, Stewart, hundred percent. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I think everyone else. Everyone said Montoya. No, Stewart. No way. You think? Oh, for sure. Have you Stewart? Stewart outweighs Montoya. Like I think it's well, Montoya is not a thin man. Oh no, but Stewart outweighs him. Stewart's big. And, and I think Tony subsists on chicken wings and pizza. And did you see that video? He's ready to throw hands. I was just, that's another off-topic question. Is that have you ever had an encounter with anybody? Like local track or anything where you just wanted to sock a fan in the face like Tony just did a couple of months ago. <laughs> I had a I had a dad threaten my life and livelihood oh, good. via via voicemail. Ooh. Okay. That was a ton of fun. That was the ten minute conversation that followed up was even even like it was the most bizarre ten minutes of my life. <laughs> not, I don't know. If, if we had more time I can get into the story, it's hilarious. But anyway. Um you have one car 
for one lap, which car at what track? Um, the late 90s Lola Champ Cart Road America. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, because they were, I know... That looks like you're watching a tape and fast forward. Yeah, because they were exiting... Well, one one of the guys that I worked with at Arms Up was shock engineer at Forsyth, and he said that PT had to think about it a couple times through the kink before it went flat. That's how fast it was. Yeah, I, that car would be nuts. It's kind of an indie pick. Maybe not. I mean, that's really famously fast car. Famously fast car. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. What race that you haven't been to, this is going to be a tough one for you, is at the top of your bucket list? I'd have to say Monza. Ooh. Yeah, that would be cool to go to. That's a good one. I like, I like Italy a lot, and Monza would be, just, just to see the fans would be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're stuck with a, a terrible choice. <laughs> great road with a terrible car, or terrible road with a great car? Great road with a terrible car any day mm-hmm. because some of my favorite times in a, on a racetrack have been in the shittiest rental cars you can drive <laughs> I've, I've i've put i've almost because put, you don't have to worry about your budget <laughs> for the next race that, with like, and, and at the end of the day driving a bad car fast is still driving a car at the limit like an impala i, I scared the crap out of james dason one of my drivers in an impala at new orleans motorsports park rented chevy impala and i just Went for it. See, yeah. I was wondering if you meant rented from like a rental car place or someone's car that you were, or, you know, someone's no, just, car that you were like, driving. Well, <laughs> well I, I mean, crappy car, whatever. Like the, the, I would rather drive a slow car at the limit than a fast car in a straight line. Any, any day, any day of the week. Like straight line speed does not like it's cool, but driving a car as fast as it'll go around a corner, that's, that's where I live. <laughs> Steve lives in corners. <laughs> We got anything else for him, or we want to just pack this one in for the... Do you think we got a good... I think that's probably... We got a good amount of content. I, I mean, it is his house. He could... Are you ready to kick know. us out? Nah, <laughs> this, this has been... All, I, I love talking about racing. Like, it's fun. And, and myself. I mentioned that before when we were trying <laughs> to sell I love talking about myself. Whitney, again, will attest to that. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, I... I I've gotten all I need to out of this. Well, I was going to say, let's say... He, he, can, get, he can get me... He can, oh, totally, we can have That's him again if, if oh, you'd I, love to come back. Absolutely. He said he can get me into, like, SRO racing in two years. Two I'm, years? I'm done. Yeah. Like, Ready that's all go. I needed to know. That's a, that's a good deal. Let's that's go. a great deal. It's a great deal. <laughs> um, I, should buy, I should remind you of my retainer. <laughs> <laughs> again, I, let me get my budget prepared, and we'll talk, okay? <laughs> so... Um, you can have a bake sale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many lemon bars would it take to get to SRO? <laughs> a lot. Who do I know that makes lemon bars? Because I don't bake. My dad does. I do. Andrew, all right. There we um, go. So, hashtag fun Nick's racing career. Right? <laughs> I guess that could supersede the fun Tristan's Audi hashtag. I suppose. Yeah. Well, if he's my co-driver, someone's got to be a spotter. Yeah, there you Andrew. <laughs> Anyway, besides Steve, none of the rest of us in the room are pros. We're not really good at this, but uh, you listened for the entire episode anyway, so we thank you for doing that. Um, but we don't want you just to listen. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your ideas, what you like, what you don't like. Any other questions that you thought of listening um, that you, we can pass along to Steve that he can answer for you, we can pass it along through social or whatever else. Um, 
You can reach out first by going to checkenginepodcast.com. We have an email there. It is inbox at checkenginepodcast.com. Um, we also have all of the socials. So we're on Facebook at Check Engine Podcast. If you want to hear Andrew argue with people on Twitter. Like Volvo. Like only Volvo, brands. Only brands. And but, some people. Yes, definitely people. <laughs> so if you want, if you want, I, had, I had a C30 for a while. That was a fun car. I've always really liked those. Yeah. yeah. Andrew, where can they uh, watch you argue with brands? That's at Check Engine Pod. And uh, Tristan, we also have an Instagram page. That, that will have. sometime have pictures on it. Um, that's also at Check Engine Pod. Steve, how can they get in touch with you or any of the businesses? Where can they go? Uh, we're also on all the social media. So Facebook, uh, Styled Aesthetic. Twitter, at Styled Aesthetic. I think Instagram is at Styled underscore Aesthetic. And then if you want to see pictures of me on bikes, I'm on Instagram at, at Swoke57 or me saying random stuff and usually just retweeting generic racer at Swoke57 on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. So be sure to give Style a follow, give Steve a follow. Um, if you really dig what we're doing here on Check Engine Podcast, you can support us monetarily. We're trying to get Tristan and Audi. We're trying to get me into a, a semi-pro racing series. So we could use all the help we can get. Um, we have a support button right on anchor.fm slash check engine podcast, or you can go to patreon.com slash check engine podcast. We thank you in advance. Um, if you don't want to give us money, we understand, but at least <laughs> it just makes me laugh. <laughs> I mean, I get it. <laughs> like you do have the dejected tone. Yeah, like, yeah, it's I nice. Understand. It's I subtle. It. I love it. <laughs> um, threw me off, man. If you don't want to give us money, that's cool. You can, you can, Go give us a good review. That'd be awesome. Or just go to anywhere that streams us and click subscribe. Yeah, you're not even subscribed to this podcast? <laughs> okay. Don't insult them, man. I don't know if that works. <laughs> I'm trying something new. Okay. This well, is shock marketing. <laughs> Listen here, assholes. <laughs> subscribe to us. I didn't even say any of that. That wasn't with me. That was Nick. <laughs> we can edit that out. Um, so yeah, reviews help a ton, particularly good ones. Um, subscriptions, all that's going to happen is that you're going to get notified when we come out with something new and it doesn't cost you anything. So win-win, especially if you enjoy listening. Um, we don't need to go around and do thank yous because the only thank you needed is thank you to Steve for your time hey, thank you and guys. for your hospitality. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, even if we suck, which is more often than not, you guys are awesome. So we cannot wait to talk to you again. Take care. Thank you.